Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you might be. I am Nicole BC, and you, you have know everything. everything. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you, Melissa. I am honored, truly, to be speaking to the efficiency bitch herself, CFO, author, business owner, podcaster, and so many more things of which you're going to talk about. But I wanted to read you all this blurb just to kick things off because I think you're going to relate to this. And I, I already I have, I have a lot of questions written down, so this is going to be pretty colorful. But Perhaps the most descriptive is on the Efficiency Bitch website, and I'm going to let Melissa talk a little bit about what that actually means. But after a century of feminist progress, women still feel obligated to cook, clean, be the primary caregiver, have all the answers, look fantastic, and do everything with a smile. Melissa, I'm not convinced you don't do that, but I digress. Through hard work and self-discovery, Melissa Leone has learned lessons about having it all that are too important to keep to herself. So she has written a book. She has a podcast. She even built the business in order to make all of this possible for anybody listening, for any business owner. And I think most especially for those of us who might have a slightly nefarious relationship with money. <laughs> but I think the last thing is really where well, we're going to kick things off. Then I'll get into the origin story. But Melissa, it says you can have it all. You don't have to settle for less, fear burnout, or worry about what tomorrow will bring. Efficiency Bitch shows you how to fall in love with your future self and live the life that you deserve. How do you do that? <laughs> I still get chills when I hear it. I just I love it. <laughs> you know, it's a lot. There's, and I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, I should start by saying I have three children who are eight, yeah. 10 and 12. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing oh, the Lord. mom thing and I built a giant corporate career. I never wanted to be a stay at home mom. I always wanted a big career. That was what I always envisioned for myself. The, the kid thing was always the question. The career thing never was. And I tried to do it all. I tried to do every single thing. And what I realized through complete exhaustion was that I can have it all. I just can't do it all. And so mm. that was a huge flip for me. A lot of people say you can't have it all. You can, you just can't do it all. And those are very different things. I, and we'll probably talk a lot about this, but like super mom tried to kill me. <laughs> she came after me and told me I had to do all the things that super mom's supposed to do. And I physically didn't have enough energy or time in the day to do it. And so when I started realizing that I could give other people their shit back, pardon my language, Oh, you don't need to do worry about your language on this podcast. <laughs> okay, good. Um, when I realized I could give other people their stuff back, it changed my life, you know? And I, it, everybody's stuff from my boss's stuff to my husband's stuff, to my kids stuff, my parents, my siblings, I was doing everybody's everything. And I realized I didn't need to do that. And so now I focus on only what will move me and my core values forward my humans that reside under this roof are a major part of who I am at my core. And so I want to make sure they have the best life, but I'm not going to do everything for them either. I mean, it comes down to even delegating what my kids do. So um, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. And it's been an incredible journey, not just kind of having this breakthrough of my own, but writing the book has been an awesome journey. And then everything that's come after the book has been a cool journey because it's a continuous improvement process and a continuous journey. Thank you for sharing that. It's so inspirational. I relate to so much of what you've shared, especially the core values driving everything that it is that we do. And I remember sometime in the late 2000s, a social media executive, one of the women in charge tweeted, you can sleep, you can be successful, you can have a life or you can work out, choose three. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, well, what's the, what's the use of three if you, if you can't have all of them? And it, it frustrated me so much to have a woman who, I mean, I looked up to at the time, and I think a lot of women and people in tech were looked up to as well, to suggest that you have to choose 
between the things you need most in this life. And for the most part, the reasons you're doing all of the other things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that kind of stood out, some might consider it a little bit contradictory or controversial for someone, you know, for the first sentence to say feminist and then the book title to say bitch. So Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about how you towed both of those lines as well? Yeah, it's been a fun process. Um, so I'll first say the origin of the of the title Efficiency Bitch came from a fight with my mother. Um, I was a teenager. I was home from college for the first time and they were having a party and I was in the way and she snapped at me about get out of my way. I have an efficient system. And I whipped around with, well, you don't have to be an efficiency bitch. I was not trying to be nice. I was not trying to be sweet. Um, and it was like the first time I really like swore at my mother. Like I had done it in her vicinity before, but never like called her the B word. And I thought I was going to get my block knocked off. Yeah. (laughs) She didn't respond. And then later it turns out she thought the term was really funny. And it's the response that I get from most women these days. Like, dang, that's a, that's a good one. And that was her response. It turned into a term of endearment between us, actually between my sister and my mother and I, we've called each other EBs for years, long before the book or the podcast showed up. Um, And it's always been our thing. And then if you flash back to just five years ago when the idea of a book started kind of percolating in my head, my sister suggested, why don't you call it efficiency bitch? And I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Is the world, how does the world feel about the world, the word bitch. Right. And, um, so I had to do a lot of research and make some decisions on that. And there's a whole chapter in the book where I talk about the history of the word bitch and why I chose to use it, not only as a nod to my mother and my sister, but there is so much feminine power actually in the word bitch. The original origin of the word bitch in the United States came during the 1920s during Roman suffrage. And the newspapers started referring to the suffragettes as bitches, meaning dogs in heat acting like aggressive women who were fighting for something that they wanted, that they felt entitled to have, that they felt they should have the right to vote and own land. So if I think about the original origin of it, women who were fighting for something that they that they believe in, I'm a bitch all day, right? The society has taken it in a couple different ways. And the, the word is so silly in and of itself because you can bitch slap somebody. What does that mean? You can flip a bitch in traffic and make a U-turn. I mean, like the word has taken on a form of its own, but I don't take it. I choose not to take it in a derogatory sense. There are many women who are uncomfortable with it, and I'm I'm good with that too. I recognize it's not for everybody. We've kind of taken on the B persona. the The cover of the book is a B. Uh, she has like an E B in her wings, um, and so like I tell people, if you don't want to be called a bitch, call yourself an E B. You can be part of the beehive without owning the B word. <laughs> well, and we'll circle back because it also has a layered meaning to it as well, which I find really clever. And I want to know more about that. But you mentioned the origin of the book being rooted in sisterhood and the relationship you had with your mother. I'm curious, like in terms of your own timeline, and I have a little bit of an idea, but I think everybody would appreciate hearing it. There's the book, there's the podcast, there's the business, Mm -hmm. you know, share that timeline with us. What came first and how did it all kind of evolve bringing you to this point right now? It's so cool when stuff just kind of comes together when you're on that journey. And if you're on a journey to start a business right now and you feel like you don't really know where you're going, it will click. It will. One day you'll just have this epiphany where like, ah, that's where it fits in. Well, and I did the math really quickly. You said like the book kind of started showing up in the ether five years ago, which meant you had a three-year-old a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, which is legit. Yeah. So yeah, you had a lot going on. And I had a corporate (laughs) career then where I was traveling 200,000 miles a year. I mean, I was on, I was in India and China and Europe all the time. I had a very supportive husband who, and his mother who also supported him while I was gone. And it's, it's interesting. A lot of the things that have come out of this, but my, my decision to write a book was something that I I always had in the back of my mind I want to do. But more than that, I always wanted to have my own business. I just didn't know what my thing was. I was like, I don't want to run a restaurant. I'm not like going to go sell 
bird feeders. Like I just couldn't figure out what my thing was. And it made me crazy. And I looked up franchises for ever trying to figure out what I could buy. And then one day, like just smacked me in the face. Oh, your business is business. Like I love to talk business. I love to talk strategy. I love to talk finance. Spent 20 years in corporate finance at Four Seasons Hotels. My first job in life was as a bank teller at age 16. Like I was made for this. And so I started, you know, just kind of messing with the idea of what would it look like to be a CFO, a fractional CFO, but I couldn't find anybody else that was doing that. And I was just kind of stumbling through the dark about what that might be. Um, And I started that process in 2019. So I was just like, yeah, I'll do your books for you. My friend who owns a website development company or my grandmother's HOA. I mean, just these random little drops in the bucket kept showing up. And then COVID happened and the hospitality industry got completely turned upside down. Most industries did, but the hospitality industry was where I was working at the time. One of my best friends and coworkers lost her job during that whole layoff situation. And we were like, you know what, why don't we start a business together? (laughs) And we did. And not only did the pandemic offer this opportunity where people understood remote work and fractional work better than they ever had before, Mm. it also allowed us to do it from anywhere. So she was in Hawaii, I'm in Arizona, and we started working with clients all over the country. And it took off like wildfire. Um, It's been an incredible journey. We serve over 50 clients across the U.S. today, fractional CFO, bookkeeping, And by fractional CFO, what I mean is we teach people to read their balance sheet. We teach people to read their financial statements rather than just a tax document. It allowed my husband to leave his corporate job a year and a half ago. So we're all under one roof now. And it's been a a really cool journey. But also I had that book in the back of my head. And I was like, I got to do this. Before I chicken out, I've got to get it done. And I I I thought I wanted to write a book to teach women how to talk about money to their children. That was the thing that was ringing in my ear was women don't know how to talk about money because they they're uncomfortable with it. Generationally speaking, we're not given a lot of information. That's your book. But instead what kept coming out of me was how to have a life, how to have it all while you're having a corporate job or building a business and having a family. And so that stuff kept coming out. And that was when my sister recommended the title of Efficiency Bitch. I couldn't figure out how to get moving. So I started a podcast. I didn't know where I was going with the podcast. I was at a gas station filling up my car and the acronym popped in my head. So now bitch is an acronym um, for bank, inbox, time, connection, harmony. And that's like full package of what I stand for is you have to understand time and money so that you can manage your connection and your harmony. And it all connects together. And that's what I'm saying. Like if you, if you were walking that walk with me along those years, you would have been like, Melissa, you're all over the place. You have so many irons in the fire. What are you doing? And today I stand so firmly in this single concept of time and money expertise to help people. It's been really cool. It just, it just happens. It just transforms. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> um, I I was, I mean, I was curious, obviously, uh, have a podcast. I think what you've done in your business is incredible. Growing to 50 clients that quickly is just a testament. But I wasn't sure, was was it the book or was it the podcast or was it, and it sounds like it, it was, there was a bit of a side hustle going on. So yep. you had some existing connection and then the entire world turned upside down. And what I thought was really cool the first time we chatted was, so you're, when you say corporate finance, specifically it's the hotel industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was in, in Four Seasons Hotels. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about that to you, and this, uh, that you pointed out to me is that you're essentially managing all of these different businesses within a business. Yes. And so it gave you insight into retail, into travel, into customer service, into logistics and cleaning and all of these different things. And so it makes perfect sense that you would then translate that into business services. Mm-hmm. When Something I've had the the opportunity to do, I also actually had a fractional accounting firm where they are now providing fractional accounting services. It's for very, very niche businesses and much, much, I don't want to say larger businesses, but a very specific industry. And 
so I I was privy to some of these like boardroom chats, uh, which was gen- generally just a few people that were, I don't know, 20, 30 years older than me. So I just assumed they were a lot smarter and they had these like complex finance degrees and they would speak in these foreign languages and they'd look at their financial statements. They'd look at their profit and loss for the last month, for the last quarter, and they would basically just kind of run a few calculations to look at what might be happening in the future, a month out, three months out, maybe a year out. And it would take 15, maybe 20 minutes. They'd be looking at variances, which is a fancy word for changes. And I suddenly realized these billion dollar businesses were just looking at the same numbers every 30 days. Mm -hmm. And if one of them was different, they wanted to know why. And that's essentially what they were paying us to do because those were complex answers. It it showed me this can actually be really, really simple. Mm -hmm. In your experience in stepping into people's businesses, why does it feel so complicated? I think, you know, every business owner goes through similar, every human, I think, goes Mm. through similar ups and downs of their day, their week, their month, their year. And we all manage stress in a similar way, but our our personal circumstances can absolutely impact the way that we manage stress, right? But I do think every business owner is, is, and business in itself is the same in the sense that if the business owner isn't focusing, the business can't do anything. The, the business is not a person. The business is a, a process. The business is a system. Um, and so it's about where's that business owner? Is their head in the game? Are they focused? Are they asking the right questions? Are they bringing the right expertise? The business owners I find where the wheels are falling off is usually when they're trying to do it all by themselves. Mm. Just like me, when Supermom tried to kill me, I was trying to clean my house and cook and be PTO president and Girl Scout troop leader and fly to China and like cannot, and I won't go back. Right. Like my husband and I were having a conversation last night about money. And I said, I would rather not have a phone than have to go back to taking on all the responsibilities that I used to do. I must have support. I must have help. I think business owners are very similar. That's, that's typically where I find the issues. They, they're very focused on, can I afford this Thing this month versus like taking it back from 30,000 feet and then maybe coming back in a little bit. And you have to look at it from multiple angles. Mm. And that's where different financial reports can really support that. Mm. I'm not huge in spending a lot of time in the past. I do want to look at the future, but I also want to look at cash flow. I also want to look at your forecast. I also want to look at your inventory management. I want to look at how you're getting invoiced. You know, you cannot trust that a vendor is billing you the right thing. They have human beings most likely doing the work and there's people making mistakes. I I was in charge of a payroll department for a giant hotel company. I promise you, you should be checking your paycheck. People make mistakes (laughs) with all of it, but it can be a lot to, to manage. It's funny. I just got a bill from a utility company that was about, I want to say five, four to five times higher than usual. Mm. And so I, I kind of called around and I thought, is this like an annual thing? I haven't been with them long enough to know, like, I don't have a lot of history, you know? And um, I called them up and they kept saying, oh, well, you know, that's just the bill you got. And I was like, but I need to know why. And it ended up just being a glitch in the system, yeah. which would have been automatically debited and automatically paid. And an older version of me would have felt ashamed that I didn't see it, assumed I had fucked up. Yeah. And just tried to figure it out without really saying anything to anyone. And it's interesting because, I mean, you and I, we we parallel play, as I like to say. Um, And I find that when I first started this, my business and in terms of the executive and business coaching, I, I found people would call me in duress. They would be in a really bad situation. They'd be usually in burnout and usually because they'd actually created a rapid amount of success and didn't, didn't really know how to deal with it and how to Mm -hmm. scale and create sustainable business. And it would be personal relationships that were falling apart or cash flow issues. They they had they couldn't keep up with the the demand. They had the income, but it was going out even faster than it was coming in, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And 
in my own messaging and business building, what I've realized is, is so much can be done when people actually feel secure, they feel successful. Like that's really the time to invest in the support and service to sustain and scale your business. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you, why, firstly, like, why do you think it takes people so long? Because firstly, and sorry, I have a really bad habit of asking like 18 part questions and it's because <laughs> my brain starts firing. It's my ADHD AF. It's fine. Uh, you are one of the most, I would like accessible levels of service because you mm -hmm. do work individually and customize what you perceive at least your new clients and customers needing. I was shocked when you told me what people can access, not just only you, but the bookkeeping, the CFO services. Um, I think it's phenomenal. But uh, the question being, why does it take someone so long to get the type of support you offer into their business? I think it's because they assume it's just adding up a spreadsheet. It's, it's pretty easy. I should be able to do it myself. Mm. I have I only recommend QuickBooks Online to small business owners because I do believe it's the most efficient, best piece of technology for accounting. However, yeah. they sell it like everybody should be able to do it and like it's oh dummy God. proof. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just not. It's an accounting mm. software. It is designed for accountants. I can open mm -hmm. it up and know what it means because I speak the language of debits and credits. I understand how general ledgers work. I, like I get it. But if you don't have an accounting background, it's going to make you feel stupid really fast. Mm. And that's unfortunate because they, Intuit sells this product. Like anybody can do it. It's a snap. Like you see all they these call it into it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the least intuitive. <laughs> no, it, it is for me. Tech. Like I'm an accountant, so I can pick it up. It's, it's a fantastic accounting software for an accountant. But it's not if you just like they ha I hate the commercials. They have like the lady with the flower shop and she's like, click a button and on your phone. And it just doesn't work that simply. And so I think what happens is people feel like I'm an idiot if I can't do what the lady in the commercials doing. And it's embarrassing to go ask for help or it's embarrassing to show somebody how much money I'm making or not making. I mean, talking about finances can be very exposing. I think people feel very uncomfortable sometimes not sometimes, most of the time talking about money. I mean, as a society, we're, we're told not to talk about it. And so it's a, it's a difficult conversation. I've had so many people get on the phone with me and tell me they're nervous. You know, they're like, mm. I'm so nervous right now. And really what Leanne, my partner and I are very good at is connecting with human beings and liking our clients. We, we develop relationships. Like if it's not the right client, we're not going to pick them up. We want to make sure we can connect and have a, a solid business relationship because that will make them more successful with their finances if they're willing to learn from us. Um, and that is something that we have I think a, a competitive edge against other accounting firms because she and I both spent so long in hospitality. We learned about the people part where a lot of my competition didn't. They went to school and worked in an accounting firm or, you know, just managed the, the accounting, the other accountants. Um, and so it is a, we're in a customer service industry. We spend, I'm very accessible. Like I want my clients to text message me and to email me or call me or Zoom or however they're comfortable where a lot of CPAs like just email me and I'll get back to you in six weeks. <laughs> and we just don't play like that. So it's, it's a hard thing to talk to somebody about. Um, you know, there's white coat syndrome, like people get nervous going to the doctor. I think there's something very similar when people are approaching those of us with calculators and pocket projectors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like you're showing somebody your sort of your most intimate secrets and really totally. behind the scenes. And I think before I move on from that, I just want to know, has there ever been someone that's been in such a bad spot or their, their accounts were so embarrassing and so shameful you weren't able to work with them? Not once. It's the, yeah, those are the fun ones for us, actually. <laughs> like we yeah. get really excited about the messy ones. It's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. Like we look at it and we're like, ooh, okay. But we start with the bank account and we're going to go reconcile the bank account, make sure the balance sheet's in order, and then show you how to build the profit and loss statement and, and build it in a way that's designed for the business, not a way that's designed mm -hmm. for the tax forms. I mean, the tax yeah. forms are a 
an important part, but it's not the whole part. And if it's not designed in a way that the business owner can read it and can use it, it's kind of all for nothing. I completely agree. And you shared something. I can't remember. I'm assuming it was on the Two Cents website that I read it, but you said understanding money will change your life. And I think what you were saying, it's not just about hitting a QuickBooks report or sales versus expenses. I'd like to know what you mean when you say understanding money will change your life and how that actually impacts a business. I find that there's several, like two or three types of people. Um, Those who are very interested in money naturally and want to talk about it and want to learn about it. And I was one of those people, yeah. right? And and you are, and, and there's a lot of us that are out there who are just naturally inquisitive and want to learn. There are other people who are very afraid of money and will never spend a single penny and they'll hold on to all of it, but they don't actually know where they're going with it. And they could be losing money just by holding it because they're not putting it in investments and inflation is taking over and making it less valuable over time. And those people get very scared of losing any money. Mm. And then there's people who are afraid to count what they've spent and they just spend it and kind of go all over the place. I'm like, I'll figure it out later. They sign a lease, but don't know if they can afford it. Or they you know, try to get a car and have a car payment, but can't actually afford to pay it ongoing. And maybe have never looked at their credit reports, you know, and there's, there's probably a little bit of number one and number two people like types, the the ones who are overly into finances and those who are like savers, like maybe a little bit of a mesh between them. A lot of people who are into money tend to get a little bit more protective of it. But I do believe in order to have a healthy relationship with money, you need to have a visual of all three. You can't be hoarding money and just living for the future Mm. because you, you only have this one life. There's only this one time, but I also don't want you to go spend your paycheck before, (laughs) you know, before you've earned it. I also don't want you to be so focused on it all the time that it's running your life. So one of the things I say to people is it has to be on your mind, but it should never be on your heart. I mean, we all know that more money, more problems, right? We get that. Society tells us that over and over, but what do you do with that? And once you really understand how you can use money to improve your day-to-day life, improve your future self's life, how credit scores are impacting you, how to leverage lending products. Debt is not a bad thing, but not all debt is good. So there's just so many components to it. Investment strategies are interesting and complicated. And I'm not in it. There's so many different types of finance professionals. I'm not one that gets into, I'm not an expert in investing, but I have professionals that I hire to help me with investing. And uh, there's just a lot of cool angles that you can go down And I promise starting one thing today will make tomorrow better with money. And then you do one next thing and then the next day is better. And then one more thing. And it's extraordinary how much it can, it can really change your life in a very short period. How do you help businesses and business owners, the people that you're directly in connection with understand the money in their business? And, and where I'm going with this is, Like when I think about those boardrooms or when I think about how I support the people that I work with, we look for a few indicators. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like the cheat sheet for the understanding. It's like the Cliff's Notes, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm curious, like how you support people in that discovery process. Yeah, it it evolves over time. So I'd Mm. say from a financial perspective, one thing you don't ever want to do is focus on the same KPIs over and over. Mm. Looking at new KPIs maybe every six months, maybe every year is really helpful because you're going to uncover a new piece that you didn't see before. So a lot of times I will focus the beginning of my conversations on revenue. Where's your revenue coming from? I use an example of a restaurant a lot because it's easy to relate to from a consumer perspective, but your profit and loss statement could just say total sales, or it could say breakfast, lunch, dinner, or it could say mm-hmm. food and beverage. Per hour. Yeah. Or totally. you could do you could do a yeah. million different ways. And every time you flip that, you're gonna see something new. Why do I have so much breakfast revenue and no lunch revenue? Right. Or why mm. am I why are my Tuesdays completely empty in food or beverage or whatever? And you will be able to pull things apart. And then you move into a cost of sales situation and you can look at 
just the other day, I had a, I have a healthcare provider client who we found that the labs were billing her completely incorrectly. And we'd not looked at that KPI until recently and realized that there was a problem there. And then you can look at your expenses. Usually we'll find kind of low hanging fruit and expenses pretty early on, but a lot of times once you've touched it, it's done. Yeah. And then you have to go figure out where your revenue is or isn't coming from. And then how is your labor being managed? I mean, labor is the number one cost for all businesses. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to make your employees more efficient is always going to be beneficial to your bottom line, particularly if you're paying them by the hour, but there's, and then flip it. Then the next year or the next six months, you want to look at something different. And that's the difference between a CFO and a bookkeeper. A bookkeeper is going to plug the numbers from your bank account and just give you the report. A CFO is going to analyze them and hopefully teach you what Mm. you're looking at. I mean, something I say to every one of my clients is, I either want you to learn so much from me that you don't need me anymore, or your business grows so big that you need more of me. Those are my two hopes for you. One or the other comes true, but I don't want to just like fill out your PL and give it to your tax guy and move on. That's not, that's not what I meant to do. Well, I mean, and to the point where you literally offer a course to teach yeah. people how to be a CFO and they get two one-on-one sessions with you or yeah. someone on your team. So yeah, I think uh, you were walking the walk for sure. Yeah. And, and I love that you, you talk about it like you might understand it right now and then your understanding is going to change. Yeah. I believe that we use money as a tool and yet, you know, if I'm a carpenter and you're a baker, the way that we use that tool is going to be completely different. And so understanding what does money, how is that tool useful to you in this moment? And people will say, well, how do I, how do I juggle? Like, how do I build a sustainable business? Or how do I, how do I scale my business and hire the people and invest when I need to? And the goals are going to be completely different at different stages in business and understanding like what you need in order to take the risks you perceive as being necessary to get to that next level is also going to be different for everybody. Some people, when I first realized cash at bank has a particular use and too much is poor cash management. (laughs) It's true. You need X amount of cash for Y amount of time. And after that, you should be investing. You should be deploying. Like you should be actually using this as a tool in your business, not just feeling good about having some emergency rainy day fund that exceeds any potential rainy day that you might have. Um, And so people, I think, you know, I think one of the challenges is, especially when it comes to money, People think I can read the book, I can listen to the podcast, I can hit a report on QuickBooks. And yeah, that will help them distill some information, but they treat it like it's static and Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to evolve, that things won't change. And so, you know, I say, if you can't call your accountant and have a conversation with them, like if you firstly don't feel like you have that access, that's a huge problem. But secondly, if that's not something you want to do, Like it's time for a new accountant. I agree. Um, Yeah. So yeah, helping people understand money and how they how they use that particular tool is fundamental. And I think so often that also comes from our backgrounds, our culture, our upbringings, how we saw our caretakers engage with money. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got three kids. I'm super curious. How are you helping them understand money? I'm very aware that I was, that society has told us not to talk to them about money Mm -hmm. because their friends will say to them, we don't talk about money, right? So I know that my kids are getting an education about money and are talking about it at school because my son will come home and be like, eh, I told my friend about my allowance and he said, we're not supposed to talk about allowance at school. And it's like, you can tell that those conversations are happening in other people's households where we don't talk about money. I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to continue to talk to my kids about money. Um, Oh, way. I mean, I I can remember having like, uh, yeah, my dad was pretty hardcore about all of that kind of stuff. And, uh. It's probably one of the reasons I'm, I I would be considered incredibly rude with how I will ask everybody how much it costs. I when I asked, will tell everybody. I'd, I think like dispelling the income myth, I think yep. full transparency in organizations is incredibly empowering. Like I, I think if, if owners think their employees aren't talking about how much they get paid, they are 
having a laugh. Like, <laughs> I know. so anyway, I, sorry, I interrupted, but um, it blows me, me away that kids would say, I don't, we're not supposed to talk about money. I, whoa. My kids know how much we bought this house for. And yeah, we were, we had a volleyball team over a couple of weeks ago. And my daughter said something about the price of the house. And one of them said, how does she know that? And I thought, I, I said, well, I told her and she said, oh, that's like a lot of, imp- I said, it's on freaking Zillow. It's public yeah. record. Like how much I paid for my house is available to anybody. It's not a secret, but it is new. I feel like in society, particularly for a woman to be talking about money. I mean, women were not allowed to have a credit card in this country until 1974. And I wasn't alive then. I was born in 1981, but my mother was 30 in 1974 and didn't have a credit card. So how could she ever teach me how to be a teenager with a credit card? She never was one. How could she ever teach me how to be a 21-year-old with a brand new job and a credit card? She never was one, right? She was an adult when that all happened. So I'm the first generation of those types of conversations. I'm very fortunate. I grew up in a house with a mother who was a banker. She was a fraud investigator at a bank, which is like the coolest job ever. So I got to learn a lot of uh, cool stuff about money. And I think those conversations are important. I have constant conversations with my children about how much things cost. Um, We live in Arizona and I write about this in my book a little bit. And it always makes people laugh at me, but I, we live in Arizona. We eat a lot of ice cream. Like just is what it is. It's hot here. It's still over a hundred degrees and it's the end of October. We eat a shitload of ice cream and I don't want my kids to feel like we waste it. We don't waste money on ice cream. We enjoy it. It's a family thing, but I also want them to be very aware how much things cost and that you have a limit on things. So we have a family budget on ice cream and we can spend $200 a month on ice cream. That sounds like a lot, but for a family of five, it's a couple times. It's, It's like five times going for ice cream. And so we have that conversation. Do you want to go this week? We already went once this week. We won't be able to go next week. You know, those types of things. And so it's an important conversation. We're not wasting it. We're not limited on it, but we do have a a threshold that we can't go past in order to be able to do other things. Um, And so those conversations are really important. I'm also huge on my kids trying to be entrepreneurs. My oldest is 12. And she's been trying to come up with a business idea for a very long time. And we finally got one that's doing beautifully, but it's seasonal. She's, she's selling, I don't know if this is a thing all over the country, but in, in my little corner of the universe, they do these boo bags at Halloween. So it's middle of October when we're recording this and kids in the neighborhood will fill up little bags of goodies and go put it on their friend's doorstep, ring the doorbell and run away. And they call it, you've been booed. My kids love it. They think it's the funnest thing ever. <laughs> That's pretty great. First week of October, my daughter says, mom, we got to get the stuff for the boo bags. And I was like, oh shit. Like they're expensive. I don't want to go to all the stores to get all this stuff. I love like the actual act of letting my kids run to someone's door and run back to the car. They have a blast doing it, but the process of doing it sucked in my face. Certainly let her know that I didn't want to do this. And she goes, mom, what if we buy it in bulk and I sell a boo bags? And I was like, bingo, kid. <laughs> We're doing that. So My job she, here is done. <laughs> yeah. So she put together a hundred boo bags, sold them all in three days and made 500 bucks. I was going to say, what was her profit margin? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we did the whole thing. Like we went on Oriental trading. We picked out the supplies. We figured out the lowest, you know, cost for something that would still be cool. And then we priced it at 10 bucks. And then we put out a Google form on a neighborhood Facebook page. We only did delivery in our neighborhood. Like, and I had to help her with a lot of the logistics of texting people and getting Venmos. And I mean, she's 12. So I certainly did a good amount of work, but we have that conversation. Then I told her, you can hire your brother and sister to help you put the bags together. So she did that. So you're learning labor cost. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of conversations that happen about money here. (laughs) I think that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And just for the record, there's a brilliant book talking to my daughter about the economy. It's written by a Greek economist. Have you read it? No, but I'm interested. Oh, it's so, it's so fascinating. And I want to say it's a bit older. So it, it was like when the Greek economy was really, really struggling. So that was like mid, like 20. 2014 2016 around then yeah. and the the economist lives in new york and his i think at the time six or seven year old daughter said daddy why are there poor people 
And he was like, that's a really complicated answer. (laughs) And so he wrote a book about the global economy for an eight-year-old. And it's amazing. So I recommend that to everybody. Um, I don't think there's any other books that have that title. So if you Google that, you will find it. But um, yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot of the work that I do with people is really unwinding their own narratives around money, what they think money is. I mean, it's a representation of value. And it's just a lot easier than going, well, I think my six chickens equal your two loaves of bread, right? Uh, Or my carpentry is worth your plumbing. Um, But we can get we can get so much more emotional about it. And there's another uh, book that I really like. I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Singh, I think is his last name, S-I-N-G-H. And he one of one of the things I've debated with people, especially my father, is he was like, it's not Starbucks that's making you poor. Like your your coffee every day that you go buy at the local coffee shop is not the reason why you can't put a down payment on a house. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, I think there's lots of, there's two minds in this idea of like, you can reduce expenses or you can raise your income. And yep. you were saying before, you know, it's a little bit of both. Sometimes we do need to check our expenses, but at some point every, every three months, I'm like, I'm going to cancel all of my subscriptions and I'm going to cut back on all of my expenses. And then I look and I'm like, oh, you, we don't have any. (laughs) We already did that. And I, and I do think it's, it's a really empowering and expansive exercise to wonder like, okay, well, where can we increase actual profits? Where can we increase income? How can we play with that while we're also doubling down on the things that we know work? Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you, I mean, you scaled very quickly. Mm-hmm. How did you resource yourself and your business to go from some side hustle bookkeeping clients to fractional CFO bookkeeping, online courses, and still podcasting yeah. <laughs> and still doing the mom thing? I say mom thing like it's not actually, I probably should have led with mom thing, but anyhow. It's a lot easier now that they're in school all day. I can tell you that much. Mm. Um, They were not in school. It was a whole other animal. I don't do it all. Like I don't. Like that's the secret is I don't do it all. I have a lot of help. I have, well, first of all, an amazing business partner. She's a badass. I also have a really kick-ass husband who's willing to roll up his sleeves and do everything in this house from laundry to dishes to dirty diapers. I mean, there is no mom duty, wife duty, dad duty in this household. It does not exist. Um, So he is a huge part of that for me. I also have a lot of people I've hired over the years to support me in the household. So I have a weekly house cleaning service that I wouldn't live without. We didn't start with weekly. We started with monthly and then we went to two weeks and then We went to once a week when I realized I was still spending a lot of time every week doing it. And I treat them like my family. They're not my servants. They are not, they, we clean before they clean. You know, we want to make sure that they are part of, part of our family, part of our village. I have a amazing admin who does a ton of stuff to help me. I have a social media and podcast manager. I mean, the point is it looks like I'm juggling a million things and I sleep nine hours a night, sometimes more because I do like to sleep. And I probably work, I don't know, six to eight hours a day if, if it's a full work day, you know? But I, I also choose when I'm doing those things. And it's not, I, I don't like the commercials where people are like, I work four hours a week and that's my life because that's not sustainable and possible for all people. But it is possible to make enough money so that then when you are done working, you don't have to go do all the other stuff. You can go play. That's what I want. That's what wealth means to me is when I'm done doing my work, I can go play. I don't have to go clean my house or, you know, manage emails or all the other social media stuff that comes into business and those pieces. So, well, I think this is also a teach their own situation, but did you build out that support in your business before you earned it? I'm sure you've heard a lot of your clients ask, like, when is the right time to hire? And I reply, when you need the thing done. (laughs) Yeah. But for some people, you know, they feel like they need to earn X amount of dollars before they can get Y amount of help. My experience is higher before it's Mm -hmm. 
freak out because here's the thing when you hire someone you have to train them and yeah. you're not going to have the bandwidth to train them if you're already freaking out right yeah um, we just hired a third cfo which is a huge thing for us it's always been the two of us um and my husband is works in the business as well and does a lot of the bookkeeping and the and the business he works on our business we work in the business we just hired a third one and my partner and I had a lot of talk about it. Like, when do we hire? What do we do? Well, I know that October through March is when we're going to get the majority of our new clients. This is when most people are focused on money is end of year through tax time. And that's when we get hit with our huge client load. I'm going to hire her now because I need the capacity to take on new clients. If I don't, I'm going to be turning everybody away. Or I'm going to take them on because I want to help them and then not be able to do a good job, which is probably what would have really happened because that's my personality type is to just say yes. So we hired ahead and it's scary. I get it. Like I encourage people all the time to do this and then having to do it myself is terrifying. I've had a couple different freakouts about it. So I get it when it's your own life and your own business and your own money. It is, it is a hard thing to do, but I also know from experience that this is the right way to hire people. You hire before you have the need and maybe not a hundred percent of the need. Maybe I need 30% capacity right now, but it allows, it gives going to free me up time to go hunt for more business too. And then you've got that opportunity. But if you wait till it's too late, you won't be able to train them properly. They're going to show up. You're going to be a scatterbrain. You're going to confuse them and they're not going to want to work for you. Absolutely. I also think there's, you know, to me, it's always about risk mitigation. Like, how can Mm -hmm. we make this? How can I feel more safe in doing this? How can we make this any potential problems? So especially in like hiring like senior leadership positions like that in your own business or or potentially even replacing some of the efforts you invest into your business, doing, you know, stepping things out and saying, we're going to test this for a few months and we're Mm going to see like where we both are at at the end of this and if this feels like a good fit. So I I love that. And again, it's going to be, it's going to vary for everybody, but I do think getting that support before you think you need it is probably the right time. And it is going to be scary. It's supposed to be scary. You're doing something new. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned working with your husband a few times. You know, there's, there's one of those business rules that says you should never work with friends or family. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, no, I I say I only do both because if they're not friends or family, when we start working with each other, they will be by the time we finish. So why do you think that rule exists? Because I don't think people are willing to have complete, honest conversations all the time with their friends and family and or business partners. Fortunately for me, both my husband and my business partner are my people, like through and through my people. And I will tell them all my things, um, all my fears, all my worries, and them back at me. And we support each other to get through those pieces together. Um, Only once or twice has it come to fruition where like Leanne wants to do something and I don't, or I want to do something and she doesn't. And we sit down and we talk about it and we decide when is the, when can we table it to discuss it again? And then we both end up coming to the same decision later on down the road and kind of like marriage, right? You have to have those conversations, put everything out on the table. I guarantee the conversation whether you're having yourself in your head is a hell of a lot worse than the conversation you would really be having with the human. So I have found that having, I feel like I can have honest conversations with those two um, about everything. And that makes the business that, that much more successful. And uh, this might be one of those weird questions that you're not supposed to ask, like, how much money do you make? But I'm sure you've seen a lot of businesses and partnerships dissolve and not amicably. How did, like, did you guys start with an exit strategy or, I mean, how have navigating partnership been for you? It's a a good question because I do think that all businesses need to have an exit strategy. What does that Mm -hmm. look like? Um, how old are you when you exit and who takes it when you exit, right? All of those pieces come into play when you're a solopreneur and then you add other people to the mix. Like Leanne and I are 50, 50 in this business. And so we have to decide not only what happens when she and I just, she decides, or I decide that we're done. What if one of us passes away? There are so Mm. many pieces Mm. that can come into it. I mean, we're we're in it legally. We may as well be married in that, in that. Yep in that sense. Um, 
And it's, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a client yesterday about, she was talking about doing some fractional ownership pieces with her business. And I said, do you want to get married to them? Cause if you let them own part of your business, you're married and you have to go through a divorce in order to, to let those pieces go. And so then we started talking about incentive opportunities versus ownership opportunities and some of those pieces. And I do think that understanding those legal aspects is important. Writing it all out when you're in a good, happy place of what you want it to all look like. I mean, everyone jokes about prenuptial agreements, but they exist for a reason. And maybe having some type of that information on a before you go into a partnership of what you want the business to look like in the future from a legal perspective can be very, very helpful. Love that. And thank you for sharing that. That's definitely shown us under the hood. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now we're going to get to the interview component of this. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I have a handful of questions that I like to ask people. And I'm going to start with another weird one. A lot of people in my experience and people that I work with would qualify themselves as creatives. Now, I know creative accounting can have a couple of different meanings, but I'm really (laughs) curious. Do you, I mean, you're an author. Do you consider yourself creative? Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. definitely a visionary. I mm-hmm. I like to build, I like to learn. Like I am a student for sure. I am constantly reading audibles, all the like paper yep. books, all the things. Like I want to know more information and keep creating and keep changing. Um I'm not a creator in the sense of like social media is not my thing. I'm not that kind of creator. I'm more of a let's build something. Let's yeah. try it. Let's change it definitely me. I can relate. So when someone asks you what you do, how do you answer that question? It's funny. I've, I still struggle with that a little bit. I usually start with, I own a fractional CFO company and people go, what? (laughs) A what? What does that mean? If I say I'm an accountant, they automatically assume I'm like doing taxes, which is not anything I do. I don't do taxes at all. Usually I start with, I'm a fractional, I own a fractional CFO company is usually the the answer. And then I, what, we'll talk about the author part too. What is like, what do you, how do I want to ask this? Like, what is your actual work? Like when you, let me rephrase. What does your typical day look like? Mm-hmm. Usually I have at least one podcast that I'm on or hosting. Oh, far out every day. Yeah. Just about. Dang, go I'm you. Trying to get um my voice out there as much as possible. You know, that personal brand piece is a tricky thing to to do. It develop. really is. Um, so I'm either hosting a podcast or I'm on somebody's podcast at least once a day, most days. Um, I'm I have at least two to three client meetings where I'm like going through having their CFO call as we ta- as we refer to it, where I go in and I'm reading them their balance sheet and their PL and we're updating forecasts and cash flow statements. Um, I also have calls with my clients' CPAs so that their tax preparers are able to tax plan with us. And it's the three of us together. I don't ever want my clients to go alone because they need to be hearing from somebody who's reading the financials. I have a lot of clients who like will randomly text me or email me a question or two throughout the day. So that's probably an hour or so, maybe a little more. And then, you know, random bookkeeping here or there. (laughs) The bookkeeping is not the biggest part of my day. Um, My husband does a lot of that for our clients. I do some of it and it's really fun. I love being on the phone with people. I am on Zoom and QuickBooks most of the day, every day, Um, which is really an interesting combination, but uh, it's been a fun one. And I'm I've been working from home since 2013. When I worked Mm -hmm. for Four Seasons, I was a global finance manager and my team, I was in charge of the outsource. So my team was in India, my hotels were all over the world. And so I was at home, but long before Zoom was a thing and way before it was cool to work from home. So it's a very different world today working from home than it was back then. Then I would just like put headphones on and talk on the phone and walk around my house and do dishes and fold laundry. And now I'm tethered to my seat on Zoom. (laughs) um that's pretty funny I feel like most accountants were like I'm free and you're like it's a trap (laughs) Uh, so okay so you're spending a lot of time in front of the computer Mm -hmm. you're working between two applications mainly do you feel like 
there is like a method to your badness. Like as an example, you start with a podcast and then you get into clients or you start with your clients and then you get into podcasts. I find, especially when it comes to money yeah, that again, to each their own, but there is, there is a method to the madness. I do a lot of my client calls early in the morning. I'm on the West coast in Arizona and I have a lot of clients on the East coast. So if I start at seven 30, it's already 10 30 for them. I do know that I have to get with people early in the morning because most people's capacity to talk about money has drained significantly throughout the day. Mine hasn't. Ooh, but that's interesting. Most of my okay, cool. Have. So I do a lot of early morning calls and I do calls on the weekends. Like I'm, I'm not a, just a Monday to Friday kind of person. Sometimes people's lives are what they are. I have a lot of restaurants as clients too. So mm-hmm. a lot of restaurant owners work, you know, during the the dinner hour or the, or the breakfast hour, depending upon. So have to pay attention to some of those things. The podcast times are, I really enjoy them midday, kind of get my energy back up. I, I'm definitely an extrovert, certainly a strange type of accountant. Most accountants are introverts and I am definitely energized by people. I like talking to people. So the podcast piece is always really fun for me too. Um, and then my kids come home from school at three o'clock. And so I spend a lot of time being a mom in the later afternoon. And we got, let's see, tonight we have batting practice and soccer practice and three eye doctor appointments and, you know, like stuff. So, so glamorous. <laughs> There's the a lot of, of things that go into owner. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just have a couple more questions for you, I promise. But so we talked about you being a creative and a visionary, and we just mm-hmm. talked about the method to your madness. How do you get into your creative process? Is it a different part of your brain? Or do you feel like your ability to interpret numbers is your creative process? You know, they always talk about like, when you lose track of time, you're in your flow. Yes. Yes. That is me in a spreadsheet. How sick oh, is that? bless it's it. me in bless a Bless your heart. <laughs> I get so lost in messing with spreadsheets and formulating them and doing like one of the coolest parts about being an accountant for me is the puzzle. It's Mm -hmm. making sure everything lines up and without getting too accounting geeky, right? Like you have to have the liabilities and and the assets and you have to have everything lined up just so, so that it balances. I love it. I love it so much, but I also really enjoy the efficiency bitch side of stuff, which is so much more the human being versus the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spend a lot of time at university, I have two local universities, Arizona state and grand Canyon university, where I mentor mostly young women. I have a couple young men that, that want to talk to me, but mostly it's young women. And so that I get a lot of creative energy from. And after I've done sessions with those students, I can get really into what I want to do next with efficiency bitch. Right. And like, what am I going to do next? We just launched a planner and we just launched swag and like, there's all kinds of that stuff that comes from my excitement over talking to the human versus the business. So I get my fill kind of on all the, all the little angles. I love that. Um, you mentioned, and I bet you get this, especially with, with talking to people who are thinking about working with you. Like I personally think business is business. And one of the ways we overcomplicate it is we think like my problems are unique to my business. <laughs> well, the economy is struggling. So there, you know, that's going to, but how important do you think, I mean, it seems like you work across so many different verticals. When someone says, you know, I want someone with experience in my particular industry, or no one's going to understand my particular problems, how would you respond to that? I have not found an industry yet that has completely unique problems Mm. with the exception of medical billing. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. Medical billing is a whole other weird animal that no one makes it. And I mean like billing insurance. So yes. And they have, they have their own, their own like accounting thing in there as well. So yeah. But I do have medical providers that I work with. I just don't help them with their medical billing. They have a third party that does the insurance medical billing, but they still are running a business. They still have employees. They still have Mm -hmm. payroll. They still have cost of goods sold. They still have all this stuff. I just don't help them with their receivables. But that said, I mean, literally I have a law firm, uh, two law firms. I have multiple restaurants. We have an IT company, website development company. I have a lot of professional organizers. So I have probably a half a dozen of them. We have a kombucha company in Hawaii. We've got, I mean, just all different types of business owners that are so much fun to work with. And the cool part is that the common thread is so thick that, I can talk business with all of them and it's all the same thing. 
they're all being impacted by this threat of a recession. They're all impacted Mm -hmm. by inflation. They're all impacted by labor shortage and challenge. Those things are all the same. And the cool part is they usually stay in their own lane in social media groups, right? Like the professional organizers all hang out together in social media, but they're missing other people's viewpoints. Yeah. And it's huge. Like you have these conversations and you're like, oh, my restaurant client is blah, blah, blah. And it's like this light bulb goes on and they're forgetting that business is business. And I'm with you a hundred percent. I don't, I mean, I learned that firsthand being in the hospitality industry and having all of those chopped up little businesses under one roof. And I learned how to have those conversations and ask the questions to be able to, to figure those pieces out. There's going to be small things here or there that are a little different, but by and large, it's really the same problem that you're solving for. Yeah, completely agree. Okay. I think this might be my last question. Um, Speaking of questions, (laughs) is it that obvious? Uh, (laughs) So a lot of people struggle to find a fractional CFO, an accountant, a bookkeeper, that level of support in their business. Mm -hmm. What, and I should have warned you with this one, but if you, if someone were going to have, if you're going to arm somebody with like three interview questions for their new financial support service, what do you think might be some great questions to ask? Yeah. Um, I get this a lot actually, because it is really hard. Well, first let me say finding tax preparers, which slash CPA is often what people refer to when they're looking for an accountant. There is a Mm -hmm. massive shortage of them in this country right now. Um, like extraordinary shortage, the IRS has also experienced that same shortage. So like, just know that, that, that they're hard to find. The good ones are hard to find and they're not all the same. So don't just judge it by the price because the price has nothing to do with the person's expertise or their ability to, to manage your tax situation. That said, if you're looking for somebody like a CFO, who's going to be knowledgeable across multiple industries or across yours and help you with those things, the first three questions I would ask is what's your communication style and what's your Mm -hmm. availability to talk to me? Mm -hmm. Um, If you like to talk by text, but they refuse to talk by text and only want to talk on the phone, you're going to be annoyed every step of the way. And there's nothing wrong with either version of communication, but if it's not the right one, like I don't talk on the phone on my actual cell phone very often because I'm either on zoom or I'm texting. I very rarely pick up the actual phone, but other people only want to talk on the phone and don't want to do zoom. So ask that question. Probably one of the most important. The other thing I'd say is, are you available to join me in other meetings? So I always want to be in meetings with um, my client's CPAs or my client's financial advisors. If they have a fractional CHRO, like if they have somebody helping them with HR, you want your support to be part of your board of directors. You want that support to be able to commingle and talk to other other professionals that you may have hired. Don't keep us in silos. If you have somebody who wants to stay in a silo, that may be troublesome for you if you're looking for the larger picture. And I think one of the third things that I always am telling people to pay close attention to is contract length. I don't have my clients sign up for a contract length. I ask for a 30-day notice period, but I don't, and that's just because it helps me plan for my life if I know a client's leaving, but if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And I don't want to be stuck in a contract any more than anybody else does on either side of the equation. But my biggest piece of advice, I mean, outside of asking the questions is you want to make sure you are their ideal client, just as much as they are your ideal vendor. If you are not their ideal client, you won't get the attention that you need. If you go into a firm like this happens a lot. There's a big accounting firm here who does tax prep, CFO, and legal. And they do a lot of advertising and a lot of small businesses go to them, but then they end up coming to people like us. I've taken five or six of their clients because that client is too small for that big firm and they're not getting any attention. So you thought that they were ideal for you, but really you weren't ideal for them and it didn't didn't turn out the way you wanted. So the three questions and my unsolicited two cents. (laughs) No, I love that. And thank you. I thought really actually was my last question. Like there's so much more that I want to talk to you about, but it feels like maybe, maybe for another conversation, um, (laughs) specifically like you mentioned debt and, and scaling. And I think 
for people listening, it really, you know, how you're going to use that tool of money in your business, the types of support that you're going to get are going to vary widely depending on where you're at, what your goals are, what you're trying to do, um, the challenges you're experiencing. So, okay, there is one one last question. But um, Melissa, <laughs> you have so much that you offer and so much support people can access right now. Like I said, there is this, the teach you how to be a CFO course. Mm -hmm. um, Efficiency Bitch has a planner. I yeah. saw there was also a whole thing if people wanted to do a book club um, book yeah. selection of Efficiency Bitch, that's possible. So let everybody know how they can find you, the resources that you have available, and anything else that you feel like they need to know. Yeah. So Two Cents Consulting is the name of the website, twocentsconsulting.com. I'll warn you, it's T-W-O and then S-E-N-S-E. -S -E. So not like pennies, but like making sense. So Two Cents Consulting. Um, you can find me there. You can find us on social media under the same name. Efficiency Bitch is usually the easier one to remember for most people. Um, and you can go to efficiencybitch.com and the, click on the connect with me and it'll come straight to me in both cases. We do have a Be Your Own CFO online course. So it's me talking and it's several hours of content of my voice and my picture and my the whole thing. Um, and I'm walking people through the financial reports. It's a great place to start if you don't know where to start. You can start with those, understand your reports, especially if you're planning to start a business or you've recently started a business in the last year and you're like, I don't think I need a full-time CFO or even a fractional CFO just yet, that's a good one to start with. It'll give you the questions. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So it'll tell mm. you the things you don't know. And then there's two one-on-one -on -one sessions with me or my partner where we talk about your specific business. Cause the class is obviously business is business generic. And then the two courses get into your specific. Yeah. And efficiency bitch, we're doing all kinds of fun stuff for the human being. Like I said, there's like a swag shop with shirts and hats and the things and the planner and the book club in a box is the new thing that came out. It's like a box with all the stuff you could need to have a book club. So like all the books you would need and a little bag and the book club guide and stickers and bookmarks. And it's fun. <laughs> That's so fun. I, I don't, I mean, I have a book club, but I, I forget that like there's resources. I just like make it up as I go. Yeah. Um, like I do pretty much everything. So I thought that was so cute and such a unique idea in terms of product and a way to just provide even more support and services for people. So I love it. Very efficient for people. You know, there you, like, you want to have a book club, but you don't know what to do. So like, here's all the stuff you need to do it. And then of course it's like discounted because when you buy something on Amazon, Amazon takes a cut. So if 100%. you can buy something from the actual person, you're going to get a better price because you're not mm -hmm. going to have to take the Amazon piece. So um, that was one of the solutions there too, is just to make it a little bit more fun and affordable. And yeah, so all the things. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your energy. It has been an absolute delight. I learned a heap and um, I'm just so grateful that there's people like you supporting small businesses, business owners, and visionaries <laughs> because everybody needs it. We all will level up when we understand money and the role that money plays in our lives. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you.